0: launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Welcome everybody to season three, episode 18 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. And today we're talking about solutions, comprehensive solutions, comprehensive solutions to the biggest problem in group practices, the turnover of associates. That's right, we're gonna dig deep into the way you want to approach this to hopefully get a better system in place for solving your biggest challenge, probably for today, and as you continue to grow your business into the future. You know it'll be a note-taking episode, so get your pad and pen ready. And if you're gonna be caffeinated, brew another wonderful cup of that Mila coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Thanks, everybody, for joining me on the podcast once again today. I am your host, Perrin Desports. Appreciate you being in our audience. And I'll go ahead and say at the show opening, thanks again for all of the kudos, shout outs, compliments, high ratings and everything else you'll give us on the uh, on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. I know I say that often, but you don't know how much it means to us. Uh, this stuff is not easy. <laughs> and we certainly appreciate the uh, the favorable input that y'all continue to uh, to send our way. So let's talk associates. I seem to talk about associates a lot often, but over the last, I'd say, handful of months, as I've been hosting some clients for discovery days and strategic planning sessions here, we've we've hit on associates with alarming regularity, and I, I don't know if this is just something that's a phenomenon that's that's happening. Like there's more turnover now in associates than there there ever has been, or if it's just top of mind for people. Uh, it's always a problem. It is the number one problem of every group, and it doesn't have an easy answer or an an easy solution. So uh, having built larger businesses in a prior life for uh, a Fortune 1000 company, I can empathize with many of you when it comes to um, the recruiting uh, rat race, if you will. And that's what it felt like to me when when I was building sales teams and tech service teams and, and trying to grow a, a business uh, and expand it in a geography. I had the same challenges that all of you do, a little bit different context, but the same sort of mentality behind it. You're never going to solve it completely. What you can do, though, is be more systematic about it. I don't even want to say strategic about it. It really is a system. It's a process, and it needs to be a regenerative regenerative, and repeatable process. The first thing I would tell you is that when you approach associate turnover, it, it, this is something that, for those of you building bigger businesses, and especially those with faster growth ramps, this should not be an engine you stop and start. It should be a constant process, even when you don't have an opening. You want to constantly be interviewing for associate-level positions as well as leadership positions in your business, and that's for growth purposes. I always had a goal back at Patterson when I ran a couple of different businesses for them. I always had a goal of having anywhere from about five to 10 sales candidate resumes in my my active file at any point in time even if i didn't have an opening but there were people that had uh reached out to me or that i had been referred to or made contact with uh and maybe grabbed a cup of coffee or a sandwich met with them told them a little bit about patterson learned a little bit about themselves um so I I broke the ice. I didn't, I didn't come with a job offer in hand, but the key thing is they had a relationship or at least a beginning part of one with me. And I wanted to, my goal was to make them want to be part of the organization that I was building. I wanted them to walk away from that time with me saying, God, that sounds like a great company. And one that I would really love to be a part of. You think about Filling associate openings from people uh, when when you have an opening, and you think about it from people looking for a job. And, and that's obvious. What I would tell you, though is if you're running a growth oriented business, here's the four one one you're going to have more openings to come. So start doing interviews even with potential associates that might be employed with an enterprise level DSO that aren't a partner, they're just an employee or people you get connected to in the local marketplace. This can be from colleagues and connections with um, your existing associates. They all have friends they went to dental school with. Uh, This could be from local dental societies Or any type of local network, study clubs, or otherwise. I mean, heck, talk to your manufacturer representatives and talk to uh, your dental supply representatives for people they know that you may not know. Uh, Chances are, those supply reps and manufacturer reps call on a lot of practices in the area. They know a lot about those practices uh, in in that area, and they know where there are other associates that they've heard good things about. Um that may be either unhappy where they are presently, or they may um, uh, they may not have a partnership opportunity. So the key here is making a connection with them before they even need a job. It's great if you can plant the seed for for somebody who is happy-ish where they are, but not locked in for the long term. Okay, so you have you're always going to have when you have an opening and you post an ad, you're always going to have people who are actively searching or actively need a job. That's the obvious piece. But the the other thin veneer is that you want to have access to candidates that are not actively seeking right now. You know, because they're they're content, but maybe they're not satisfied with where they are. So make this into a full-time endeavor. And always strive to have five to six uh, prospective candidates for any position that you may have at any given point in time or one that you forecast adding this coming year. So be systematic about it. It is a process. Don't stop and start it when you have a need. So a comprehensive solution when when you're meeting with somebody you really want to present to them not just a compensation rate with a job offer to it. You really want to produce a solution for them that that plants the thought in the candidate's mind that, hey, this is this sounds like a great group practice to join. And if I'm fortunate enough to get an offer here, it sounds like a place I could be for the rest of my career. You want them to kind of solve for that Um outcome in its entirety, all right? And the way you present that is really understanding where they're coming from in a way that allows you to present all the great things that you do in your group. So first and foremost, you know, a, a comprehensive solution really has the three legs of the stool that we talk about, recruiting, onboarding, and development. The fourth leg of that stool is partnership for sure. But if you're not offering equity paths right now, uh, you probably had a dis- decided disadvantage but if you if you've chosen not to then at least you can get the recruiting onboarding and development piece right um, when you are recruiting it's important to solve for certainty and what associates are looking for is certainty that there's some level of income they're going to be able to earn with you um, certainty that they're gonna fit into the culture that is all about your business, certainty that they're gonna be able to build their skills and become a master at their craft, certainty that this is a, a winning team, this is a growing business. It's a it's a business that I wanna be part of. Everybody loves to be a winner. And I would say the last piece is when where possible, certainty around ownership. So when we think about certainty of income, all too often I find that people are still recruiting with a compensation rate uh and some level of, of basic benefits and you know i hate to say it that's just not good enough um it, because it doesn't solve a comp rate doesn't solve for the actual income that we would expect out of it so if if you have a comp rate of you know 30 percent of collections for example uh, and somebody else is offering 25 percent well you know are are you better off offering 30 when they're offering 25 well at face value you would think so but it all depends on how much that average associate collects in your business so let's let's not just lead with your compensation rate let's lead with your compensation rate and the average level of productivity in year one, year two, and year three for your associates and translate it into income. That is certainty. That allows them to understand their earning potential in your business based on historical precedent in the first couple of years when they come to work for you. Uh, And that track record of proven performance also creates a, a degree of confidence in their mind that if they join your team, they're gonna be able to grow along the way. The second thing, is certainty of fitting in uh, culture core values, mission statement all of that if you if you don't prioritize it they're not going to prioritize it and I would tell you that the younger uh, associates these days are really about culture and core values they want to know how you describe it, what it feels like what your core values are, how you make decisions and where you stand in the world and if you don't have that from a, a Point of promotion, then I, I think you're going to be I think you're going to be behind the eight ball on it. Uh, and I've learned this firsthand more recently. Shame on me for not practicing what I preach. All right, but this is uh, the good thing is some prospective um, uh, candidates ask the questions of me. I think back when all the people I've interviewed recently um, that we did not land for our business. And I wonder how many of them had the question and I wasn't proactive in addressing it. You should think along those same lines. So an onboarding plan that is laid out to what their first, I don't know, four to 12 weeks look, lo- looks like in terms of working for you in your business. Um, and then the culture and the core values of, of how you make decisions. Um, the next thing is that young dentists, especially want to be uh, want to expand their their treatment capabilities. They want to um learn more they they want to do more complicated procedures, advanced procedures. Those are higher value procedures, and they typically carry with it. A higher revenue number. So when we're talking about solving for certainty around their income, certainly clinical skill development is a part of that. And I'll tell you that it's not just saying, not just paying lip service to it and saying that, uh, yeah, we have a, a mentorship program, or yeah, we believe in clinical skill development. Document it. Itemize it. Put it in terms of a, a a dental school curriculum, if you will. In year one, our expectation is for you to learn the following skills and the outcome should be the following metrics. We're gonna invest X number of dollars and we expect you to invest X number of dollars. Year two, it looks like this. Year three, it looks like this. And as you lay that out to them, they see themselves growing in terms of capability over that period of time through the input of you and your team. And, and that's collaborative. And you know, the just having a mentor, mentors are invaluable for sure, um, but only having a mentor uh, to review cases occasionally simply isn't good enough for today's world. If you're gonna build a group practice, you're gonna add more locations. You can't just rely on people having one-off conver- conversations. You need to be systematic. If you are systematic about it, you usually will produce higher levels of outcomes from it. You'll minimize your turnover. Oh, by the way, if your intent is to exit the business and sell it one day, if you have proof of concept in terms of skill development, that will increase your valuation probably as well. So these are things where systematizing uh, this type of an approach is is really important to solving for certainty on behalf of the associate and creating the outcomes that you want. Um, the business that you've built, uh, you know, if you're recruiting associates, you're generating some level of growth. Um, it, that goes without saying. And and I would just extrapolate that to say that, you know, additional um, layers of growth carry with it some degree of success, however you define that. Geographic expansion, revenue, headcount, number of associates, uh, number of unit procedures, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Think about the, the volume of work that you do and, and what the, the aspects of success are in your business and then quantify them and quantify them in order to, to brag about it. I'll just come out and say it. I mean, humble bragging creates confidence. Being, um, arrogant or braggadocious and thumping your chest that that nobody is up to snuff relative to you um, alienates people. That's not what we're after here. What we do want to solve for, though, is positioning your business in such a way that it creates confidence um, in your um, uh, in your prospective candidates and and you're promoting the successes that you've built in a way that allows them to see themselves as being part of your business and being part of the next wave of success. And when you can do that, um, you have people who yearn to be part of a winning team. Don't think that every other group practice out there does, uh, does the business of group practice very well or treats their associates very well. You shouldn't assume that. If you can create a better business and one that it's a true winning team with clinical skill development and the other things I've itemized, you're going to attract a higher level of candidate, and they're hopefully going to stay a lot longer. And then obviously, the last piece to this that most of the audience uh, would would probably agree with is some pathway to partnership, some level of ownership ownership people who own businesses don't leave businesses they don't turn over they show up early and they stay late um they're part of something bigger than themselves and i think if you're if you're going to build a group practice it's really important to to facilitate that in some way, shape, manner, or form. We've talked about buy-ins and earn-ins and what's the right solution in the given space and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there there are other podcasts about that and some that we've recorded even recently here, but suffice to say, you owe it to yourself to think through how we bring in minority partners into the business, buy-in or earn-in, or a hybrid of both, but that does not in any way upset your level of control in the business, or your ability to lead the business okay so let's take the the anxiety out of it in terms of uh you giving up control of of uh the business that you founded started grew and took the risk for and everything like that doesn't have to be that way whatsoever but i think ownership if you're trying to solve ultimately uh for um, uh, a way to retain associates and motivate them. Uh, Ownership certainly has a, a key component of it. So I know this is a little bit of a fast episode, um, and and it's a little bit of uh, a refresh on some concepts that we've talked about before, but this has been like a pattern of questioning I've gotten directly from uh, people who've who've spent a, a discovery day with us over the last three months or so, as well as some questions I've gotten on some prospective client calls um, and, and a few emails here or there. And I think, yeah, you know we we talk about associate equity all the time, partnership pathways and and the solutions that we have, and we're we're proud of some of those models. but that that's not the only solution. When we talk about a comprehensive solution, that is a part of the the solution that begins with the recruiting process and the recruiting process is constant and it has to have an end-to-end holistic um, context to it if you're really gonna solve it and and really um, build a faster growth business, I would say. So I hope that, gives you some better context around it. If you do have questions, feel free to reach out to me directly. Happy to take questions on a one-off uh, or if there are things you want to dig into um, at, a, at a greater level, uh, consider spending a day with us in a discovery day setting uh, or at a minimum booking a, a call with one of us. Stick around. I'll be right back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. Thanks, everybody, once again, for joining me on the podcast today. Um, Associate equity is a never-ending topic for us, uh, and I I get questions about this um, almost on a daily basis. Uh, So I I appreciate so many of you sending in those questions, and hopefully I'm giving you different ways to think about things in the context of of those types of solutions. Um, As we wrap up today's show, uh, I, I mentioned this on a previous podcast i don't know a couple or maybe earlier in the month or a couple of weeks ago i i get a lot of um questions on one-offs like hey what books are you reading or any good books you could recommend or some things along those lines and i try to drip them into the show periodically just to to give you all different things if it's a book that i like or that i've gotten something out of and i found myself kind of reading through a, a a, a train of thought or a subject matter. I don't know if that's the right answer or the right word for it, but um, it just so happened that I, I had stumbled across uh, two books written by uh, Cal Newport. Y'all have probably heard of these called Deep Work and Digital Minimalism. Um, they've been out for a couple of years now. Uh, and then another one that came out uh, during the pandemic, if I remember correctly, by Ryan Holiday called Stillness is the Key. Um, and all three of them were on my list to read and I got around to it again, kind of not with any intention, but oddly enough, I kind of picked them up all about the same time. I did read the two Cal Newport books, um, back to back with some intention, but the, the Ryan holiday book, I, I happened to just pick up, you know, as I was finishing up the other ones. It's interesting if if you if you like those two offer, authors Cal Newport N e w p o r t and Ryan Holiday, um, H o l i d a y. Ryan Holiday uh, has written a bunch of books, a lot about Stoicism and some things about uh, that. You may be a follower of his podcast and some others, but in any event, the reason I thought I might give you some insight into these is that they're they're all intensely thought-provoking books in the way that we manage our time, we manage our headspace, uh, and for those of us involved in in the work, in, in a creative pursuit, how we try to maximize creativity. And this is something I, I figured I would share today because, candidly, I've been struggling with it for a while, um, and for that's for a lot of reasons. But, uh, you know, Life is very intense. Building a, a growing business that's fast paced is super intense. You throw in some work travel, some challenges on the home front, and all that, and you know, all of us kind of feel like we're in a blender of sorts at times. And and I'm no different. I, I like I say, I've been struggling with all of those, and and I think you know it it started to show a little bit on me as of late. And so, uh, reading through the books, Deep Work and Digital Minimalism, um. Are, or maybe digital minimalism and deep work, if, if I'm going in sequence here, uh, are something that got me really thinking around where I spend my time. And I, I'm not big on social media. I have some social media accounts. I don't really enjoy it. Honestly, we do part of it for the business and, you know, marketing purposes and things like that. But I I am not one to, I don't have a Facebook account anymore. I don't have a Twitter account. I don't have a TikTok account, a Snapchat account or anything like that. Um, I've got an Instagram account that I look at occasionally. I've got a LinkedIn account that I look at occasionally, Um, but frankly, not too terribly much. And, you know, I think for a lot of us that are suffering from some of this sort of headspace type issues, where we feel like there's uh, we're we're on constant overdrive, and we're we're all too often running the motor in the red with with no let up in sight. Social media is a direct culprit of that because it's it occupies a lot of your uh, all of your idle time and space, uh, so you don't have time to just think for yourself. And the other thing, the nature of social media is that it's comparative um, and, you know, comparable or, or trying to measure yourself against others or reflect about the things you're not doing. If somebody else is, is more successful, is just it's the thief of joy. Uh comparison is the thief of joy. Uh, and that's a quote from I should have looked it up before I started the podcast. It's not Truman, it might have been Roosevelt or somebody, but comparison is the thief of joy. And I, I think that, you know, digital minimalism talks about leaving a lot of that behind, um, not being at constant beck and call for text messages or emails or just always on and always accessible. And I think starting to carve space for yourself and push back against the oppressive nature of the always-on mentality of business is a healthy thing. And I I personally am trying to do more of that for the betterment of myself and indirectly my family. Deep Work by Cal Newport, the second book there, Beyond Digital Minimalism, talks about carving space to really uh, pursue creative interests and to really do heavy mental lifting. Uh, and there are a lot of you that are uh, in this world, even though you don't necessarily know it, working yourself out of a clinical responsibility chair side and into business development, leadership within the business. Uh, we all talk about EOS and strategic planning and and you know big, hairy, audacious goals and quarterly objectives and all that kind of stuff is super important. But my question for all of you is, if you're going to be better business leaders, how much time are you carving for yourself just to be alone and think? And if I give you a little bit of dead air to to consider that and contemplate that question, most of you are going to return the answer, not very much. And once again, I would echo that for me. Um, And I need that to be a better business leader. And we talk about doing deep work. Uh, that's mental heavy lifts that are, are really compelling and thought provoking. Um, and that doesn't happen in between calls. It doesn't happen bouncing in and out of social media. So I'm trying to do better for myself in terms of carving that time to think more, thoroughly about our business, how I'm a partner to DeWalker, and, and how I've helped lead that business. I'd encourage you to give it a little bit of thought too. And you know, Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport is a book that talks about how to make a break from uh, digital media, digital uh, applications, and things like that. Deep Work by Cal Newport is a book that talks about how to how to go deeper in terms of your thought process and making time for yourself to allow that to happen the third book stillness is the key by ryan holiday encapsulates a little bit of all of that um and in a totally different writing style um and uh you know different application but some end results are the same and and i think It arguably takes those other two books to one greater level, which is the human being that we all aspire to be. I don't mean to get excessively philosophical on the podcast today, but, um, stillness is the key was a great book at a, a needed time in my life. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that I bought it a couple of years ago, whatever the reason I'm glad I didn't read it then. And I'm glad I read it now because it meant a lot to me. Um, and it hit me at a point in life that caused me to to pump the brakes, pause, and to, to think about things a little bit differently. It's also a book that I'm going to go back and reread for that very reason. I highlighted a bunch of dog-eared, a bunch of pages, and scribbled in the margins, and I'm going to go back and spend a little bit of time studying it. And I think the combination of those three books will hopefully produce a better parent for 2023, keep your fingers crossed. Um, and. If you follow my train of thought, if you're suffering from maybe some of the same challenges that I am, maybe those three will make a a difference for you as well. I hope that they do. I'm really glad you're in the audience. If you have questions about anything else that I'm reading, anything about associate equity or anything else on your mind whatsoever, always uh, drop me an email at Perrin at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. If you want to schedule a call to talk about any uh, subject matter, Uh, You can do that off of our website, www.polarishealthcarepartners.com. Thanks so much for being being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.